Welcome to the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and I'm here for you. Today we're going to talk about ways to stop tolerating abuse. Abuse you may not even have recognized that is happening now or that happened earlier in your life. Maybe you'll hear something today that you really need to hear. It's my hope that you will. You're not alone. It's not your fault. You are not to blame. And I'll help you use that redirected energy to recover and to rediscover you, your values, your dreams, your desires, and then realize them in healthy ways and in healthy relationships at home and at work. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and you know that, and I'm so glad you're back. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. So glad to have you here. One of the focus of the Relationship Help Show is to help you manage the toxic, disturbing, and difficult people in your life and the situations. Today we have an absolutely jam-packed show. I'm going to do a section on five ways to recognize passive-aggressive behavior. If that's happening in your life, you're going to want to know those five ways. And then I'm having a return guest. I'm excited about it because Dr. Gary Salyer is here again. We're going to talk about attachment and bonding, how to become safe and We all want to feel safe and welcome and seen and accepted in life, especially at home. And what if it didn't happen in our early life? How does that affect our relationships? These are really important questions that he's going to answer in part one of his interview. And in part two, we're going to be talking about how you have to really get in touch with forgiving yourself and forgiving other people in healthy ways. Um, that really serve you and serve the relationships and allow you to create healthy boundaries and move forward in good ways. And that's overcoming for many of us a lot of our past and will help with that too. The segment today on It Happened to Me, that's a segment that we do frequently. And today a woman is telling us about an issue that just happened to her. I happened to meet her and she was telling me about this that happened to her. And I invited her to come and tell her story anonymously. So today's It Happened to Me segment is about this woman and an a very strange text interaction she had with an adult child of hers who happens to be a hijackal and how it was threatening seeing her grandkids, what she thought about it and what she's decided to do about it. So a whole lot today in the show. Please remember that if you want more information, you can go to forrelationshiphelp.com. If you want to listen to past shows, go to relationshiphelpshow.com. And if you need even more, go to my YouTube channel for Relationship Help, and there's so much there for you. So we'll be right back. Talk soon. Hello, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are these stories and questions on today's show sounding familiar to you? Are you ready to say no more to the abuse from toxic people in your life? I'm so glad. 
You matter and you deserve to have real love, true love in your life. Love from yourself and love from others. Not that demeaning, discounting and dismissive masquerade that a hijackal pretends is love. I can help you regain yourself, your self-esteem, your self-confidence after a life with a hijackal, whether it was your partner, an ex, a parent or a child. Let's work together now. For individual sessions or small group coaching, visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. Talk soon. Hello, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and I'm glad that you're with me today. We're going to talk about something I haven't spoken about a lot, and that's the idea of people being passive-aggressive. And we throw that term around a lot. Sometimes we understand it, sometimes people don't. And what we're really looking at when we look at passive-aggressive behavior is behavior that someone has... And an unwillingness to come forward when they don't agree with you. But instead of saying that they don't agree with you or they're not going to go along with the plan, they don't want to have the difficulty then. So they wait until the actual event or the thing that they're supposed to be doing. They don't do it. And then when you come to them and you say, well, I thought you were going to do this, then they tell you that you expect too much. I've written a lot about this. You can download my ebook, How to how to Stop Playing the Passive-Aggressive Game. The ebook is called Stop, That's Crazy Making, How to Stop Playing the Passive-Aggressive Game. So I wanted to share with you five things that might be happening in your relationship with anyone, your parent, your ex, your partner, your child, a coworker, a friend, that lets us know that someone has a passive-aggressive side and that it's showing. So If you're hearing these five things I'm going to talk about today, then there's a real reason why they drive you nuts. If you never work with someone who uses them frequently, you'll now realize that it's the sneaky anger, the sneaky anger of passive aggressive behavior that is pushing you over the edge. You can be going along thinking everything is fine and that Everything is swimming, you know, everything is good, everybody's happy. And then one sentence turned upside down, and your ride on the emotional roller coaster begins again. It catches you by surprise, and you often can't quite grasp what it is that's pushing your buttons. So, what I have to say to you today should help. So, I mentioned sneaky anger. Well, that's the way it escapes initially. Little looks, offhanded comments, rolling of the eyes, and that, who do I say to that? What do I say to that? How can I possibly respond to that question that catches you off guard and maybe makes you a little defensive in the process? So passive-aggressive people want to keep you guessing. And why? Because they want to be in control. So you're left with some questions. Did she or he really mean that? Were they intending to be hurtful or malicious? If I comment on it, will he or she tell me it's a joke? If I say it hurt me, will he or she tell me I have thin skin? 
Or am I willing to take the risk of saying how I feel? Because I don't know what's going to happen here. Or is it like walking into a web, like a fly beckoned by a spider? It's risky business, that's for sure. And you've been there if you know anything about what I'm talking about. You don't know whether to speak up or let it lie or be angry or go along with a supposed joke while you're inwardly seething. So here are five potentially passive-aggressive things that people say too frequently. And maybe you will now hear this in a new light as I say them to you. And you'll begin to recognize that that uneasy feeling you're having is coming from their passive-aggressive approach. So, number one thing. Yes, I'll do that. Okay, on the surface, that sounds like a great answer. The answer you want, right? Problem is that after saying it, the person doesn't do anything. And when you ask why nothing got done, he or she tells you, well, you had no right to ask for me to do that in the beginning. Or the far too habitual and totally infuriating response, oh, I forgot. Familiar? Okay, number two. Things passive-aggressive people say too frequently. You ask too much. The person agrees to do something you've asked, but only puts in the minimal, token, hard-won effort. And she or he knew exactly what you wanted, but gave you the barest minimum just to be able to say it got done. It's a kind of catch-22. That drives you up the wall, doesn't it? Because you know what's going on. You know that they don't want to be caught out saying they didn't do it, but they have absolutely no intention of putting any effort into it all. So number three, I know you've done what you could with what you had to work with. Ouch. That is the ultimate backhanded undermining comment served up in a way that could be taken several ways. You're sure that what she or he meant to say was, well, for your lack of skills or insight or talent or background, I couldn't have expected anything more from you, you worm. (laughs) However, he or she kind of hedges the bet. So you're damned if you do and damned if you don't respond. And then if you respond with the incredulity that it actually asks for, by in your head at least, or if you're brave, saying out loud, are you saying I don't know what I'm doing? A passive-aggressive person will meet that with, I never said anything of the sort. Are you insecure about your abilities? Wham! You got it again. Not only did the job only get half done, There was a token effort put in, but now all of a sudden, you're getting taken down, shot down, and cut down for simply asking the question about what's going on. Okay, that's three. (laughs) Are they sounding familiar at all? So number four, and you know I'm laughing, but it's not funny. It's, It's the humor of, can you believe this? I mean, really, that people behave these ways and that we get used to these behaviors. And that's unfortunate, too. So don't think I'm laughing because I think it's funny. I'm not. I'm laughing because it's very uncomfortable. So number four, 
Oh, I thought we put you in the loop. Well, there you go. Fraught with potential minefields. If you ask for further information, you demonstrate you're not, quote unquote, in the loop. And you affirm that you're not part of the inside group, or maybe even worse, that you've been purposefully left out. And passive aggressive people, they just want to rip off your arm and hit you with the wet end. And while they're doing it, they're making it all your fault. And that may sound familiar to you too. And that's what's happening here. The best thing is to ignore the remark. It's a no-win situation, best left, really. I know that you'd like to say something, but it can't go anywhere good. So it's just as well to just observe the behavior, note it, and say nothing. And then the last one is the one that is just frosts you right off. (laughs) a passive-aggressive person will frequently say, oh, I was just joking. And there you are. You don't know what to believe. You feel hurt, yet she or he has just dismissed the possibility that that's the message you were meant to get. And then if you take it as a joke, you're accepting the put-down, and he or she gets away with it. That's the ultimate gotcha. And you know, I write a lot about the gotchas in my book, Escaping the Hijackal Trap, the truth about hijackals and while they're crazy making. And remember, you can go to Amazon and get that book, Escaping the Hijackal Trap, because if any of these things are sounding familiar, you've got a whole lot of things you need to know, and they're in that book. So this, I was only joking line. This is usually what you hear after a sarcastic remark has been tossed your way. And again, this is that sneaky anger I spoke of. It's so often used by passive-aggressive people when they're in a group because they feel insulated by the group. They're betting that you won't display your possible insecurities or even your healthy anger by speaking up. So they blindside you with a remark. And if these are sounding all too familiar, know that you've been rightly picking up the underlying negative intent. It's common to want to give people the benefit of the doubt, though. Good ideas in most cases. However, if it's a pattern that you experience with that same person repeatedly, start thinking in terms of passive-aggressive behavior. Now you know what it actually is that's driving you nuts. Now you can take steps to change your part in the interactions with this person. Learn new strategies to respond in assertive, healthy ways and stop the crazy making. And again, remember that's the title of the book. If this is all sounding familiar and you're not ready to read Escaping the Hijackal Trap, read Stop That's Crazy Making, How to Quit Playing the Passive-Aggressive Game because you do have to do something and you need to make a change. So I look forward to you making those changes because I love to hear from you. Let me know what you did and tell me how it worked for you. Visit my website at For Relationship Help or my YouTube channel by the same name. Talk soon. Life as a couple can be exciting and enriching. You both feel supported, known, heard, and appreciated. You know you're safe. Is that what you're experiencing? Does your partner have your back? Can you be vulnerable safely? Do you trust each other fully? 
Would you say you were emotionally intimate? If not, things can get much better. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and I work with couples just like you all over the world by video conferencing. If you want a world-class relationship, learn how now. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join and schedule a time to work together. Let's talk soon. forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. One of the things I really love on our Relationship Help program is bringing back colleagues who had absolute gold for us. And of course, the conversation just couldn't all be included in one session. So that's why I bring people back about every three or four months if I really think they have something fabulous for you. And today that's the case. Dr. Gary Salyer is with us. And we had such a great conversation earlier this year. And I wanted to bring him back and talk to you. And let me just tell you a little bit about Gary. He's a Master Transformational Relationship Coach. Don't you love that? Master Transformational Relationship Coach. And he helps people write the rules for love into their brains. <laughs> so he's a, the, you're going to get it, expert, I guess. You're going to understand. He speaks to a national audience as an expert for the Great Love Debate and various celebrity TV and radio shows. And he's the creator of a new book called Safe to Love Again. Doesn't that just warm your heart to know that there is a book that tells you how to be safe to love again? I really love that. And how to release the pain of past relationships and create the love you deserve. So welcome back to the program, Gary. Thank you, Roberta. And it's so good being back here. It really is. A, it's so great being with somebody who is a kindred spirit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that's the fun of it. And watch out because Gary and I are going to create some video series that are going to help you get the results in life that you want and put a big smile on your face too. So today I wanted to talk to one of Gary's specialties, which is talking about attachment. And, you know, we have, there's a lot of talk about attachment in our world, particularly in the East-West debate. But it means something special when we're talking about psychology, when we're talking about how people are formed and developed and work. So Gary, what would you say is a quick definition of attachment to introduce this to people who may not have heard it that way before? You know, uh, basically attachment, it's, it's part of what, what separates us from like reptiles. Reptiles, turtles give thousands of babies and they just let them go off. In fact, the mother can sometimes eat their babies and though no human brain a mother ever says, oh, I'm giving birth, it's snack time. You won't see that so often. Attachment is where the mammal brain in us all says, I need a bond. The moment we had less children, the mammals do because... You know, everything happens inside and you can't have 10,000 turtles that way. At least I don't think very many human mothers want that many at one time. Uh, basically, it's that warm, cozy feeling that I am bonded. There is a weeness around us and I get to belong. I am protected. I am safe. I am welcomed. I am seen and I'm cared for. That's what an attachment is. Don't you just hear those words enveloping you? I think every one of us can resonate with that, that I want that. 
I want that cozy feeling of being enveloped in a safe place with a safe person who has my best interest at heart. And when I'm little, I know that they will protect me and I can count on them for that. And I can count on them to guide me. And that is just primary to having a healthy way of thinking about yourself in the world. So what happens, Gary, when you don't get that when you're little? Well, if you don't get that, what you get is, if you get that, you get what's called a secure attachment. That means you're comfortable giving and receiving love. But if you don't, then you usually go one of two ways. There's a third one. Uh, you can, there's most people go, uh, they may go anxious and that's where they get part of a bond and it goes away and it comes and it goes and there's some sort of intermittent bond but not always there and they're going to try to fight and lock down love. So those become your anxious, those are the ones that will might be saying to you, so it took you 10 minutes to, to answer your text or, or where were you last night? The other ones, if they get almost no bond at all, uh, then they become avoidance. They have a flight response. They're the ones that that are not the ones who will commit to you. They're afraid of when do I get in a committed relationship and how soon do I get out? Uh, so they're the ones that are afraid of that emotional connection and the words partners say is they don't feel present to me or I can't depend on them. Mm -hmm. There's also your favorite group. Uh, there's the, the ones that disorganized. And these are the babies that got really hammered and they don't know whether to seek a bond or not. Yeah, I really like your definition of attachment. Love the idea. But what happens when we don't get it? What, what is likely to happen to us as a result is we grow older if we didn't get that wonderful secure attachment that you were talking about. Well, if you get some of the bond, but then not enough of it. So um, mom or dad bonds with you, but they're inconsistent. Maybe they're there and they're not there uh, for a variety of reasons. Then some part says, I'm gonna lock this thing down. And then you become anxious and you have what's called a fight response. And so at that point, uh, your, your, your anxiety uh, goes up and some part of you is always looking for when does love go away. So you're trying to make sure it stays. So you later on, they grew up and they're the sort of people that say things like, so uh, where were you last night? Or why didn't you text back? Uh, I texted you 10 minutes ago. You have the anxious. The other ones are uh, the avoidance. And these are the ones that hardly got any response at all. They did not get a bond. And so their brain says, okay, relationships are way too painful. I'm going to avoid them. They're the ones that they don't feel comfortable being in a committed relationship. They tend to be the Marlboro mate, so to speak. Uh, and if you do get in a relationship, they can get married, but they never seem to be present. They always seem to be going away. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are the two usual ways that if you don't get a secure attachment, you get either anxious or avoidant. Okay, and then there are my favorites, right? That's right. Then there's a little subsection of my favorites. What do you call them? Well, if babies are really, really hammered, and they don't know, if they actually have a, a, a drive that goes toward and away all at the same time, it kind of splits their brain, and they become what's called disorganized attachment. They don't know whether they're coming or going with love, so to speak. Uh, and that's about 5% 
of the babies that do that. And a lot of times they become what you call hijackles. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, why I say they're my favorites is not because I just love to be around them. It's because I like to help the partners and the exes and the adult children of them understand yes. what happened and what's going on within them that allows them to be attracted to and attracted attractive to a hijackal and then be able to step away from that. And one of the reasons that I love this conversation and why it's so important for us to have it is that we have to understand that there are things at work that are subconscious and unconscious in us. And when we've had a lack of secure attachment when we're young, it has an impact just as a secure attachment does. And so we can't do anything about a partner who is a hijackal who comes from a disorganized attachment. That's not our job. We can't fix it. But we can understand within ourselves what might have happened to us to make us comfortably uncomfortable with that way of being in relationship and why that push me, pull me, you know, um, you push me away and demand that I stay. That's the subtitle of one of my books. You know, that yes. you just, it's this, like all the time, come closer, go away. And, and you want to understand that. And then to really get it. Like I was uh, writing back and forth to a person just this week who said, you know, I think this is going on because I have a thing at passiveaggressivechecklist.com where you can take a free checklist. And she took it and she said, this seems to be going on. And then she gave me a little narrative and I said, Oh no, you have to go and read my free ebook, how to spot a hijackal. All hijackals are passive aggressive. Not all passive aggressives are hijackals. You are describing someone who has definitely gone over to the hijackal side. So that, that ability to understand and tell us a little bit about what's, what do you think's going on in a home where we're getting negative attachment what, what would, how would you recognize that home? If you look back on your early life and you say, oh, what would have happened in my home if negative attachment was occurring? Well, if there's negative attachment, you're, you're going to always be a little bit honest. For me, I, I grew up with a borderline mother and the air raid sirens were never, or were never far away. <laughs> I think my had my hand on it all the time. Uh, you're always wondering when it's going to go down. Uh, uh, and, and you know it is. It's just a matter of when. Uh, you never feel like you're welcomed. Mm-hmm. That can be one of them. Yeah. Not welcomed with joy, which is one of the, the feelings we feel. Uh, a lot of times you, you, feel like you, you feel like you belong maybe too much. They, or they're intrusive. They're always in your face and you, they never allow you to be a me. Sometimes there's no, there's no right to belong. You, you, you don't get too much, you get no right. And they're always pushing you away. You feel like nobody has your back. You're on your own forever. Um, these are some of the things. And disempowered abuse. Disempowering abuse is a huge one. Whether it's they're always second guessing you and criticizing you or knocking you against walls, there's always some sort of disempowering abuse. So if you don't feel welcomed, extremely so. Uh, you're not getting your needs met. They're always about themselves uh, or they just don't care. And there's no real right to be in that cozy, warm place I talked about, that cozy we. The, the we is 
if you think about being in that relationship with them, it's a place where you'd rather be away. If you would rather be away, if you need distance for whatever reason, you know you're in a, that's an abusive relationship. Oh, yeah. You know, if, if you're hearing something right here in what Dr. Gary Salyer just said, <laughs> if you go, oh, that was my house, make sure you go to his website, GarySalyer.com, G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-E-R.com, because this is really important stuff. If, it, it, if you didn't have secure bonding in your life, you're going to have some rough and fraying edges out there. You're going to have some pieces that are kind of like, am I okay? And you're going to have some pieces that are stay away, right? And you're not going to really understand where they came from. And that's my hope today that you begin to see that you came by this honestly. You didn't ask for it, but it was put in your basket. <laughs> and then it's kind of like a virus that's in a computer program that's set to go off at particular times. And one of those particular times is when we try our very best. We think we're doing our very best to be in a great relationship and there's something preventing it. And that may be coming from within us or from the person who has chosen us or we have chosen them. And that's all about attachment. And I really want to get into it e even further today. So GarySalyer.com, go there. Um, when we think about those homes that you were describing, you know, I'll give you a really prime example. My mother used to say to me at least once or twice a month, I never wanted children, you know. Hmm. Your father made me. Yeah. Now, if you had that in your background, you know, as Gary said, he had a borderline mother. Well, I had a complete hijackal mother, and I won't put a clinical label on her because it would be too long. But <laughs> if, if you had that, your mother or your father or whoever was primary to you, maybe you had a nasty grandma or grandpa or somebody, um, I had one of those too. <laughs> they, um, they, they want to reject you because they have to win. They have to be the primary person. So they're primary. You therefore either have to be secondary or seen and not heard or preferably emotionally go away, right? And that's a problem that you can't solve when you're little, right, Gary? Uh, no, no, you can't. You cannot because, you know, the four-year-old always says, I want to, I want to, there's a four-year-old savior in all of us. Every four-year-old on the planet is saying, I want to make it better. I want to take away the pain. I don't know any four-year-olds that don't have that. Humans seem in, unable to be able to do that. But the problem is, if you can just imagine a little four-year-old standing in front of you saying, it's my job to save you, it's rather above their pay grade. So much. Yeah. You know, and, even, and then we carry that even later on. And one of the defining things in uh, uh, an abusive family is it takes away your ability to have what you want in life, to assert and create your own experience, to have your wins in life. Uh, it can, like, for instance, my, my junior in high school, uh, my mom got me uh, two ties, for, and we opened things up on Christmas Eve. And so she goes, well, you can wear one of those. So I was going to a church meeting with a youth group, and I went up and put on a tie. And when I came back down, she goes, see, that just shows how hard you are to buy, to buy for. You didn't like the other tie. Oh! <laughs> now, prime. I, looked, I looked at her, I said, you want me to wear both ties? At the same time. <laughs> just listen to that, folks, because that is a prime, prime example of how 
the hijackal has to win. Yes. Right? So if you had a parent who put you in this situation or someone in authority in your young life who put you in this situation, you have been programmed. And that's what we're talking about today. The good news is that you can do the work and you can leave it behind. But if you don't know it, that's the job of today's show is to help you recognize I came from that house. I came from that woman or man. That happened to me. And I now see it and I want to move on from it. And that that becomes absolutely prime for us to be able to move on. And there is hope for that, isn't there, Gary? Oh, there there is. There is. We don't have to you you, we don't have to do just trauma bonding. The the big thing that happens in that was you get this anytime there's that type of abuse. There was always the hope for the brain splits the parent into two parents. There's the really good devil angel, uh, you know, devil, uh, actually the good angel, I should say, who is there in hope that one day she'll show up and she'll actually repent and she'll be a beautiful, loving mother like you see in the good housekeeping uh, section of uh, CVS, right? <laughs> you know, or your best friend's mother who was always there, you know, making hamburger helper after school, right? On the other hand, there's the other one is the bad devil. And we split them. And the real issue for this becomes love, secure love is now put into the future. And what we bond to is what I call a hope structure. We inevitably, because of that savior, we will pick somebody who has both the, the angel and the devil, the good and the bad, so we can save the devil and one day have the good one. And it's learning that love is about having, not hoping. And we cannot be the savior. And the real key here is to train your brain to stop splitting uh, the idea of love into good that you can only have in the future and and uh, this devil one because what it does it sets people up for relationships with an endless cycle of working their tails off in a relationship that can go nowhere and they can never have love they're always hoping for it and they're always trying to fix them they're always waiting for the day love shows up they're always trying to make sure that's the essence of what happens when we get in these places in other words you can't have your win you can't assert and create your own experience now it's learning to put future love into the present and taking out that bad and saying, I can say no to that because no hijackle allows you to say no. Trust me on that one. They won't. There's no such thing as no for a hijackle. You can say no. Except if they say it. Yes, they do. (laughs) That's the real key to trauma bonding is to stop being addicted to saving that which you cannot save and to stop hoping for that which you deserve now. Beautifully said, Gary. I love that because, well, for for more than one reason. But the I write a lot about our being hooked on hope that the good person that we fell in love with is going to return, and that's what you're talking about. Is that we just get into that? But if I'm good enough, quiet enough, patient enough, compassionate enough, nourishing enough, I don't nag, I don't demand, I don't do that. Then the good angel will return. (laughs) And so they're connected 
to our past that says, I can please, I can put myself into a pretzel and a doormat in some form that will cause the good angel to return as a steady partner. So there's so much more to talk about. Stay tuned for part two with my guest, Dr. Gary Salyer. And remember to go to GarySalyer.com, G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-E-R.com. And for further information, go to forrelationshiphelp.com. Be right back. Hi, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Handling hijackles is exhausting. It's never-ending. An endless cycle of crazy-making, alienation, and constant drama. And cycles are difficult to step out of. I know, because I've been there too. And that's why I reach out to you to offer the insight, skills, and strategies you need to heal. My small group programs, Handling Hijackles and Hijackle Recovery and Rediscovery, will shortcut your journey to healing, to save your sanity, and to stopping the crazy making. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join now and let's talk soon. I'm here with my guest, Dr. Gary Salyer. This is part two of our great conversation on attachment, and he is an expert in this area. And I hope that you are beginning to recognize some of the things that may have happened to you or people close to you so that we can better understand and make changes that make sense. So we were talking before the break, Gary, about your comment. You said, love is about having, not hoping. And I ended part one by saying that I write often about being hooked on hope. So how do we get to that place where there is enough balance to get healthy in this situation? Well, that's a good question. The first thing is you have to realize, you have to realize you have a right to actually have love. You know, the, the wedding vows, you'll never see the wedding vows say, to hope to hold. It says to have and to hold. That's what it is. And if you're always hoping, it really does, what it means is giving yourself, we, when we have had a hijackle or we've had an abusive relationship, there's always that part that puts it off as a layaway plant. And I think mm-hmm. what happens early, the, the brain does something really wise and a little bit tragic at the same time. It creates a layaway plan called hope because the only way it can protect the right to love is to put it in that layaway plan. Now, layaway plans are meant to one day have Christmas. And the problem with abusive relationships is kind of like that line, uh, that, that line in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where, where it was never it was never winter and it was never Christmas and always winter. There comes a time when it's okay. At least the layaway plans I remember as a kid, there was a time you actually collected on that. (laughs) Yeah, when the debt was paid and you could actually go get it. That's right. And that's an interesting phrase because a lot of times we are trying to pay off their debts. Dear mom, dear dad, I'll make it right for you. I'll pay that debt for you. And the real key is to realize that their pain was never your business. It was never your business. You have to, I actually lead some of my people through an exercise where they stand before the imaginary parents and they say, this is the pain you gave me, but this pain was never 
my business. This is your business. Please look kindly upon me when I can have my love now. Uh, you have to give that pain back because it's not yours. It's above your pay grade. Yeah. And, you know, I think of an interesting piece that we should put in here because I, I, I think often of forgiveness, Gary. And yes. I think, you know, certainly we've heard the trite phrase, forgiveness is about us, not about them and all of that. But it's more than that. And what I tell my folks, and I'm sure you do too, because we're so aligned, but is let's not, we're not in the blame game here. We're not going in the past to find out who's to blame for why my life isn't working. We're here to go and say, oh, there were these facts and they created these possibilities. And from these possibilities, I now get to choose how I'd like to move forward. Yes. And I'm not going to go back and build a condo and live in the past, hopefully. I don't want people to tell their story over and over and be rewounded every time at the cellular level. Let's just talk about the way it was, validate the feelings and the facts, decide what we'd like to move forward toward and do it from the frame of maybe I got this wrong message and I choose this new one. What do you think of that? I like that one. I like that because we, we did get a wrong message and there, and, and for, I look at forgiveness as almost like a court case in our brain, right? Me, me too. <laughs> and I talk about it. Uh, I have a thing that I call dro dropping the charges and what, and, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, it came from a long time ago when us, uh, uh, I actually was dealing with this in my own therapy. And I said to the therapist, you know, some of the stuff I felt about my mother, she goes, you need to have to forgive him, forgive her, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I said, you mean I have to let her off the hook? <laughs> and what they said to me was, no, Gary, you have to let your life off the hook. Right. Because when you're not forgiving and you're running what I call a grievance, it's like you have an imaginary court case. And what the little one says is, you want to hurt me? You want to abuse me? Well, I'll well, you know, I'll show you abuse. I will continue picking wrong people and I will continue to get love in the same poor ways as you gave me. And I'm going to amass so much evidence from the rest of my life <laughs> yeah. that I will prove you wrong. And when I prove you wrong, you'll be sorry. And when you're sorry, you'll love me. Of course, the latter part never happens, but we spend the rest of our life amassing evidence to prove our parents were wrong 20, 30, 40 years ago. So if you don't drop the charges, what you have to realize is winning this court case is like these corporate cases where they settle because you can't win with the, with the ensuing legal costs. It's not worth the rest of your life to not forgive them is what it really comes down to. Well, I, I so agree with you. And I, I don't take that lightly in any form. No. You know, I, I have done a lot. For those people who don't know, I used to be a minister. So I have worked in this area for a long time. And forgiveness is not something that is mouthworthy. You know, like, okay, I forgive you. Mm -hmm. It is something that can't sit above your nose. It has to get down to your toes. It has to be complete. It does. And 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 it has to and i like what you say about dropping the charges in the new book that i'm writing stop tolerating abuse i talk about the inner courtroom mm -hmm. and how that inner courtroom is always running and how you have to modify it you have to have to change the way the inner courtroom runs and <clears throat> so 
for people who are just recognizing that this has happened and is happening perhaps now because they've recreated the relationship, as you say, they were trying to prove it. I also have a piece that I want to add to that, which is that when we've been badly wounded by some of these lack of attachments or, or these avoidant or disorganized or anxious attachments, um, we are kind of hardwired at that point to only know who we are when we're dealing with danger. Yes. And when we only know who we are when we're dealing with danger, we never have joy. That's exactly right. Because we can't allow ourselves to have joy because what if I stop being vigilant, right? What do I do? So there's a connection between these two things to be able to be present in the moment, to close the book on the blame and to shut down the inner courtroom for a while and be fully present. And for many people, they can't do that. What hints would you have for them? To be fully present? Yeah. You know, the thing is, to be fully present, you have to have a, you have to give yourself a real right to exist. And and in the book, I talk about your embodied self. When you are running these, these fear pants, step into your body, your body, if you really feel in your body, I'll bet you'll feel a scared four-year-old. Now, how many of us would take a scared four-year-old and not just say, come on, honey, let's just calm down and take them out and just hug them and allow them to relax. Uh, Think of your body as the four-year-old that's always there with you. Uh, Would you do that to them? Always tell them to be uh, on, on edge? No. What you want to do is give them some milk and cookies. So being in the presence, like giving your body milk and cookies, you know, uh, be nice to yourself. It's, it's, you know, there's no price tag. There's no court case worth what it will cost your body. And your body is not just your taxi in life. It's you. Mm, beautiful. I, I love the metaphoric way that you talk about things, Gary. It's so clear. And remember, folks, if you want to talk, learn more about Gary, go to GarySalyer.com, G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-E-R. You'll see it in the notes. Um, but letting people off the hook. Okay, so it just made this connection. I hadn't thought about before, but this hooked on hope and then letting people off the hook are kind of joined because if we stop being hooked on how it's supposed to be and if i'm only a better person it will be like that and then i i let myself off the hook too to say no it's okay when it sucks sometimes too (laughs) you know it's just reality i'm not in pursuit of perfection Yes. Because that gets hooked in there too, that if I'm only better than I possibly could be and I'm hooked on the pursuit of perfection, which is what a hijackal believes is the only necessary thing so they can constantly win, they will always find you wrong. Just like your story in part in part one, you know, about the two ties. Like it's like the parent who looks at your grades and you got all A's and one B plus and it says, What happened? You know, what happened to the B plus? You can never actually externalize that in your own life until you look at that and say, that was unkind. That was uncalled for. That had nothing to do with who I am. It has everything to do who the speaker is. And unhook that to allow ourselves to be in the present and get here and say, what do I think? What do I feel? And what direction am I wanting to go? Yeah. You know, for my own mother, I think the turning point in my life was, you know, it was like, why did you always abandon me? Uh, 
I mean, my mother didn't name me for three weeks after I was oh, born. I was oh. so disappointed. And the state troopers had to say, you'll name me or we'll put you in jail. Now, so there was always a lot of abandonment. My grandmother filled in for her. Thank God that yeah, I think that's, she saved my attachment. She really did. Yeah, I had a godmother who did yes. the same thing. Yeah. At one point, uh, I realized my mother was mentally ill. Mm -hmm. What was left of the same mother had to abandon me lest she kill me. And I realized that what was left of the real mother and my, mo my mother took the best deal possible and abandoned me lest her mentally ill side destroy me. At that point, I realized my mother gave me all the love she could. Beautiful. And I stopped blaming her. I stepped into the side of her that said, I'm sorry I'm mentally ill. I'll abandon you because if I don't, I'm going to abuse you and you won't make it through life. Yeah. And I, you know, and then I, and then I realized she did as good as she could and she gotten beat with razor blades, uh, not razor, but razor straps. And at some point I stopped uh, making sure uh, it was about my pity party. It was about having rapport and compassion with something bigger than me. And once I stepped into that bigger frame, it doesn't mean that I thought the two tie instruments were being beat when I was a child were actually any fun. But I was got to the place where I could say, you consent to it. Consent isn't saying you're thinking, oh, this is really great. You simply, that's the way it was. But, and this is the way it can be. And it's worth the person I can step into if I can simply let that go. Not so much without judgment, but just saying that's what it was. And how else could it be? Yeah, beautifully said, as usual, Gary. The the thing about it is that we, you know, we started this conversation in part one and continued it about attachment. Mm -hmm. And what we're discussing right now is letting go to the attachment that it was possible for us to have a relationship with the mother who was mentally ill and who in, it was personality disordered in, in my case, for sure. And to say, all right, you know, she did the best she could. If she'd known better, she would have done better, I like to think. Yes. Um, that's all she had to give, and she gave it. Some of it I have to give back because I don't want it. There was very little good there except that she gave me my life. Thanks. And now it's my choice what I do with it. You know, and it's a whole other conversation. We'll have it another day about where was dad and all this. But, you know, I hope that our conversation today has brought some light to what happened to you. It's not your fault. It had nothing to do with you. But what has to do with you is what you do with it from today forward. What would you say about that, Gary? Oh, I, I absolutely see that. Uh, you know, when I look back at all the relationship pain that I caused in two divorces because I wouldn't give up the grievance, it wasn't worth it. The day I stepped into this new frame that we're talking about was the day I got to be me. I got to step into my greatest self. And I got to be something that's even better. I got to be of service to everybody else. And that's the sort of life I would rather live that life of gratitude than a life of grievance any day of the week. That's, that's what you get. You get the right to create your own experience, not repeat the past experience. It's, a, it's, it's, it's life's golden ticket. It really is.
I love that. Live a life of gratitude, not grievance. I'm not saying that lightly. Neither is Gary. I know you're not. Uh, it's not like some of those lovely platitudes and that says now you don't have to do your work. You do. You have to do the work. Yeah, I, I, you don't do the work. It's called denial. You know, like I'm just going to go on from here and pretend I'm not wounded and I don't need some help. But we do want to live a life that's based in gratitude and not grievance. And there's so much richness in these conversations. Thank you so much for being part of it again, Gary. And I look forward to future conversations. Well, thank you for having me here. It's great to be with you. I love your spirit and to be of service to your wonderful people. Thank you. My guest today is Dr. Gary Salyer. Find him at Gary, G-A-R-Y, Salyer, S-A-L-Y-E-R.com. Look for his upcoming book, Safe to Love Again. All the things that we're talking about today will be in there and more. Watch also for the video series we're going to create because this is a topic that you really need to understand. So until we talk again, go to fourrelationshiphelp.com. Sign up for weekly tips for relationships and stay tuned because we always have people who are going to help you have the best life possible. Talk soon. No matter what's happening right now, life can get better. If you have a good relationship, it can become great. If your relationship is in trouble, we can find a solution. The good news is that it's in your hands to start. The not-so-good news is that it takes time, new insights and skills, and a whole bunch of willingness. But who would settle for less? Not you, right? Good. You want to feel seen, heard, known, accepted, and appreciated. You want honesty, safety, trust, respect, and reliability, too. Read my book, Kaizen for Couples, available for download at couplesbook.com. Start there, and let's talk soon. Welcome to the segment that I call It Happened to Me. And why we have this segment is because for many people, they believe that they're quite alone, that what is happening in the world of difficult, disturbing, and toxic people is only happening to them. And it's just so not true. So I want to have this segment for you every couple of weeks where you hear from someone who tells the story that actually happened to them and we discuss it a little bit. And most of my guests in this situation are anonymous, as with today's guest. And whether that relationship is with a parent, whether it's your ex, your partner, your child, your teenager, your alienated grown child and grandchildren, whatever it is, it can be happening to you. And if the person we're discussing is a hijackal, I want to tell you that most likely nothing that's going on is your fault. But what you do with the information and how you respond to it is entirely in your control. And that's what we do on this program is help you understand, recognize what's going on, learn what is okay with you, what's not okay, how to express that, what to do next in your next best steps. So I want to welcome my guest to the program. Hi. Hi. 
Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad that you would come and tell our story, your story, because I know it's a story that's not not an old story. It's a fairly recent story, and it, it has to do with extended family. So how about telling us your story? Well, it's you're right. It is very new, and it just happened yesterday. And it was very upsetting because I thought that everything with my older son was going so well. For once, he was finally understanding and listening to me. And I had so much hope that it was always going to stay this way. And then suddenly, my I drove for a long, long way to attend my grandson's birthday. And he absolutely loves sparklers. And I brought him some sparklers. And while I was there and my stepmother were there, we were watching the children play with the sparklers and everything was going very, very well. And in the meantime, my older son had been a part of it. I mean, he never said anything about anything negative about the sparklers. And he left for quite a long time just to go get the children dinner. I think it was like an hour and a half. And finally I left the house because my friend was waiting for me. And I get this really nasty text from him on the way to my friend's house that says, I already told you not to bring fire for my children to play with. And I was mm. so stunned. I guess. <laughs> because A, you didn't bring fire, and B, it was a, a gift that it seems they knew was coming. Right. Yes. And we'd already done it at Christmas time, and everybody <laughs> was all excited about it, and the kids had a, a fabulous time. And because I can get them so easily with where I live, I thought it was okay. I didn't know I didn't have permission to do that. Yes, and so now we're talking about something that listeners can recognize, which is the ability of a person who is difficult or toxic, or the people I call hijackles, to turn on a dime. One minute, it's the best thing that you ever could have brought the children. The next minute, what were you thinking? Mm -hmm. It makes no sense, does it? It just leaves you with your head spinning. I had no idea what he was even talking about. And apparently, while he was there, the kids threw some of the sparklers in the trees, which had absolutely nothing to do with me. And when he said this to me, I said, well, everything was good when I was there because I was supervising them. So what happened when you were there? Weren't you watching what they were doing? Because they shouldn't have fire of any kind if they don't have some kind of adult supervision. And I was long gone. So I, I was really confused. And then he responded by saying he didn't need me in his life. And, you know, the big F you at the same time. And I said, geez, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you didn't tell my stepmother the same thing in the same kind of language. And he just decided that I wasn't, I was to no longer be a part of his life. And you know what you're really giving voice to, and I hope everybody's taking note of this, because actually this happens to some degree with all toxic people, with all hijackals. And what you were just saying, and the second part that is important to note, is that it went to completely mismanaged, out-of-proportion responses. Like one minute we're talking about sparklers, 
and fun and fire. And the next minute, because there was just a question and a dialogue, the hijackal couldn't stand that for a moment. So they go to the out of proportion emotion, which is now I never want to see you again forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and that's really hard to understand. But what, what's going on in a hijackal is that if I can't have it my way, I feel so threatened and I feel like I have no control that I have to get rid of you so that I feel like I have control back in my life. And the problem with that, of course, is that after a while, you are their supply. They hope that they can control you and you're part of their supply chain. So after you've been gone for a while and they've sent you away, then they want you back because they want to try it again. And many times people have to go through cycle after cycle. And in the situation that you're describing, when it's your child, of course we give them so many chances, don't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I, you know, I want to tell you what I think which was most confusing is that he accused me of being irresponsible mm-hmm. and said that I acted like a six-year-old. And I don't even know how that came about because I wasn't even there when all of this went on. So suddenly I'm the one who's irresponsible because I brought the sparklers, but it was him that who wasn't watching the kids. Here we go. Number three, things about hijackals. Hijackals will always tell you who they are because they will tell you who you are. And what they're saying is, I can't bear the idea of this being me, so I'm going to say it's you. So he knew he was irresponsible, so he made you irresponsible because he couldn't possibly be irresponsible because that would shatter his perception of perfection of himself. So therefore, he projects and says, you're irresponsible. That way he can blame you and not have any problems with himself. And that's just so typical of hijackals. Has that happened before with this fellow? Uh, Almost his whole life. He's been a problem like this. Anytime that it's something he doesn't like, it's always everybody else's fault. And that's what he accused me of, which I thought was really interesting, is he accused me that I blame everybody else for everything. Always was his phrase, always. And I don't even know where that came from. I can't, I, none of this makes any logical sense. And to when you're in it and you, you know, you're not me and this isn't what you study, it doesn't make any sense. It is absolutely crazy making and mind boggling and causes you to question your sanity because it isn't logical. You can't be logical with a hijackal. They have no logic. The only logic is I win, you lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Simple and as that. Dr. Shaler, on top of this, we've got an alcoholic situation. And when he left to go get the kids the food, it shouldn't have, I mean, it was just down the street. It shouldn't have taken an hour and a half. So he tends to be even nastier when he drinks. And I knew right away, as soon as I got this behavior, that he must have been out drinking. and And he left the whole family to go do that. Yeah, it's not surprising, and it's so unfortunate, but all of these pieces go together. So if you're listening and you're thinking, you know, how many times have I made excuses for somebody and their behavior or rationalized their behavior or justified their behavior, 
or that the penny just dropped for you, just as it did for my guest, that, oh, didn't really realize it, but went for food five blocks away, took an hour and a half, probably stopped for a drink, therefore the change in behavior and response, ah, wasn't thinking about that. And that's because our minds don't work the way hijackal minds work. Mm. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're talking about the projection and the projection and the projection. And remember, everybody, projection is when what I'm most concerned is going on with me. I'm afraid is going on with me. I project it on you and say it's happening to you. Mm. So when he says, you're irresponsible, that's because he could not face the mirror and look at himself and say, I was irresponsible. I wasn't watching what they were doing. I wasn't monitoring or supervising. And I, there are no flies on me. Nothing is going to stick. I am Teflon man. And therefore, I am going to throw it at you and see if it will stick. And that's unfortunate. And if you're hearing this and you're thinking, wow, I never thought of that. Yeah, that happens over and over and over at my house. That's why I bring you these segments called It Happened to Me. And actually, I'm collecting your stories. So if you would like to send me 750 words about your story, what happened, what you did about it, and what you learned from it, you can go to forrelationshiphelp.com slash I-H-T-M. That's for It Happened to Me. And I'd love to have your stories because I'm compiling them. You can be anonymous, but it will really help other people to know that they're not alone. And that's, as I say in the introduction to the show, that's what this is all about, knowing that you're not alone. So here you have this circumstance, and it's about 24, 36 hours old. How are you feeling about it? Well, actually... I know none of what he says is true because I take care of whole communities. So how could I possibly be irresponsible? And you helped me too, Dr. Shaler, because you helped me see that it's not me. It had nothing to do with me. He just had to lash out at somebody. And I've been the somebody almost his entire life. And this has happened over and over and over again. And it's no different than every other time. So, uh, you know, I drove a really long way for a birthday party and a few hours. And I thought I was going to see them on other days. But that's not happening because I just decided I want to stay away from this. It's sad for my grandchildren, but it is what it is. And I'm not going to be subjected to this kind of abuse. I'm done with it. So you clearly knew your boundary, you reconstructed and reaffirmed and validated your boundary, you expressed it, and now you're holding it. And that's what we all need to learn to do. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I do a lot of Facebook Lives. There was one this week that I did on why is it so hard to set boundaries? Why don't we do it? And if the, you need that kind of help, that's there for you. Go to my YouTube channel my, at youtube.com slash for relationship help. It's up there too. And um, so you were able to clearly think it through, probably because this happened so many times, as you said, yeah. and yeah. say, all right, what have I learned from these repeat experiences? Now I know I am just going to say no. No. Exactly. Yeah. But I haven't said no to him. I, ha I didn't, after he said I acted like I was six years old, I haven't responded to him at all. Good. And I have no interest in doing that. I, I'm just so done. 
And I think because I decided that I'm done with it, I feel a whole lot better about it. And that's a huge decision to make, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's painful because it's probably going to alienate me from my grandchildren, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to be disrespected. And I just don't need this in my life. Well, I think it's a good thing to think through, and you've thought it through carefully. And your grandchildren need to know that it's not about them. And, you know, in our previous conversation prior to coming on air, I suggested to you that you send them little parcels and Mm -hmm. and notes and things so they know it's not about them. Because little people in their brain development, they they think that everything is centered in them that they caused everything until they're seven or eight years old and it's very important when strife is in a family to let the children know that it's not their fault they're not Mm -hmm. causing it it has nothing to do with it so you can maintain that relationship and unfortunately i mean i have to say it who knows if your male will get to the children yeah absolutely but you do it because you want to and it's who you are so thank you so much for sharing your story today you're welcome and i hope it helps other people too because this is just you know i one thing i really learned is not to be a victim where this is concerned because it just doesn't have anything to do with me and anybody i'm sure that you're talking to it's not about them either so that's no. the way look at it well, that's right. And certainly we have to look at the way we're enabling it or putting up with it or allowing it to continue. But we are not who they say we are. And right. that's the important thing for us to understand. And when they tell us everything's their, our fault, we have to know that that also is not true. And what they're saying is something we shouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. So, so thanks again. And you've been listening to the Relationship Help Show. And this segment is called It Happened to Me. And if you have a story you'd like me to read on air or you'd like to come on air and tell your story, you can send in your story to forrelationshiphelp.com slash I-H-T-M, standing for It Happened to Me. Talk soon. <laughs> I'm so glad you spent this time with me today. I hope you heard something that touched your heart. You can have the life and relationships that you most want, and that begins within you now, today. I'm always here for you. Life can get better, and you heard that from me, the Relationship Help Doctor, Roberta Shaler. I work with clients throughout the world through video conferencing. We can talk. Learn more at forrelationshiphelp.com, visit youtube.com slash forrelationshiphelp, and if you want to listen to the show's archives, visit relationshiphelpshow.com. Join me for next week's show. I'll see you then. Talk soon.